0: The Baxter Bowman Podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. On today's episode, I'm talking with Josh about bow tuning, how to get arrows flying right and get them ready to hit the exact spot you're aiming at this fall. We'll cover everything from how to tune your bow to why you need to tune it and my method for tuning with just a foam target. Howdy, Josh. How's it going? It is going pretty well, man. We're uh, we're getting close. It's like a few months away. I'm getting real
1: excited. Yeah, I was just telling you before we started recording, like, man, September is getting close. I'm starting to feel the pressure, which is good for a procrastinator like me to like start learning more and more about like elk behavior. And yeah, the topic today I'm really excited about because I've been shooting pretty good with the bow and I haven't tuned it yet. So I'm mm-hmm. really excited to see what happens when I do tune it.
0: Yeah, we did like a real quick little you know, ballpark tune, but yeah, it's definitely not tuned up real nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we're, you, yeah, we had a nice conversation too, where it's like, I, I think for guys that have been listening to this series, Josh is, he's like, man, should I shoot an elk? Do I need to shoot an elk? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's got a lot of pressure on him just from everybody listening to this, but I think, uh, I was trying to make it clear to him that there's zero pressure either way. And there's no such thing as failure. Failure is going out there and not learning. That's failure. If you go out right. there, like I remember, uh, um, I was talking on another podcast that'll come out, and uh, they asked me like, "What was the favorite thing about the season? You didn't kill an elk," and I was like, "Oh, that was my favorite season ever." Because, oh, really? Yeah, because I had the most encounters with elk I've ever had, and I felt like I did the best job I've ever done hunting, like bar none. And I felt really confident in that. And I just literally was like, "It didn't." I knew that it didn't work just because. That was the way it is, just chance. Whoa! I felt like I left everything on the field, which is like a really good feeling, you know. And I Dang. learned a ton. If I get those two things, if I knew I did a good
1: job and I learned a ton, I had a great trip. Wow, that's interesting. So you're able to separate like the process and the result, and just yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I guess you're.
0: You trust me, you're still upset when you miss something or <laughs> you're not there. But uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, let's uh, let's
0: do the let's do the bow tuning thing, and then we'll uh, we'll come back to it. But cool. Bow tuning, like maybe we should start out with what bow tuning is for some guys. They're like, what the heck does that even mean? Mm -hmm. Um, All bow tuning means is that your arrow is coming out of your bow dead straight. That's it. Full stop. Uh, Because if your arrow is coming out of your bow dead straight, like if you look down it, it would look like a bullet. That's what I call them. Bullet holes. Just this totally perfectly round. Like you're looking at the end of it. That means when you screw on a broadhead or when you change stuff up, the odds of it changing its impact are really low. Hmm. And then the ultimate step in bow tuning is making sure your broadheads are hitting exactly where they need to go. Okay. let that so, out.
1: Yeah. So that's what bow tuning is. Why is it important? Well, I guess it might be obvious, but.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's part of its flight, right? Like accuracy. A lot of guys assume that you can just screw a broadhead on and shoot it, Uh, broadhead manufacturers, it's like a bad joke. They all say it's field point accurate. Um, Mm -hmm. Even mechanical broadheads change your point of impact. Guys just really get upset when I say that, but no broadhead on the planet has zero effect, right? I've seen ones that hit really close, and I've seen ones that work on one bow that don't work on another. Like if you, you just have to know that if you change, you put a broadhead on your arrow, its point of impact is going to change. Yeah, um, and so if your bow isn't tuned, that's going to be a much much larger change. Right. So that's yeah, That's the accuracy side of it. But the other side, that's in my opinion, as as important, if not more important, is that if you're you know it's coming out of your bow crooked, sideways, diagonal, whatever it is, when it hits your target, it's going to be a little bit off. So if you think about pushing a tiny little you. Know, hole through something or pushing an arrow sideways through something (laughs) to exaggerate Mm -hmm. that is a massive massive difference in resistance and penetration right right and uh, like as we talked about in other podcasts like arrows just don't have there's a fourth of the energy of a 22 round right there's no energy in this thing so to get the penetration you need to like actually kill an animal it's got to be hitting that animal dead stinking straight because that'll be by far the least resistance to go through the animal
1: Gotcha. Okay, yeah. so not yeah, because the obvious answer I was thinking about was for for accuracy. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, if you don't tune your bow and it's forty yards out, like that could be like inches off. And if yeah, if you're already nervous and whatnot, like yeah, wind, wind going on, branches, who knows, could be pretty risky. But I didn't think about how important it is, how that plays into penetration. Also, yeah, yeah it so plays hit the right place, like, and it doesn't penetrate all the way through. That could be bad too. Totally. Yeah. There's two, two things. and yeah, there's, there's a range on those.
0: And I think the reason a lot of guys poo poo tuning or don't talk about it is because if you're, if you're hunting whitetail out of a deer stand in under like 40 yards or something, uh, where it's a small animal, you don't need as much penetration. You don't have enough distance for that arrow really to go haywire. It's, you could probably get away without it, right? Your arrow Mm -hmm. might hit two or three inches to one side. It might come out crooked, but like I said, it's a small animal. You're probably okay. But when you're shooting at elk, you know it, where there's wind. You're shooting up or downhill. You've got uh, longer ranges. Sometimes you've got this super thick animal. Like you could shoot at 50 yards, and it could be eight or 10 inches off. It's it just it's a disaster waiting to happen, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah.
0: And so the other thing that's super important to know about tuning, a lot of guys go, "Well, my pro shop told me they tuned it for me." Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of debate on this, but. Uh, from my experience, like your bow has to be tuned to you individually. No one can tune a bow for you without you being there. Huh. The reason is is everyone's individual form is super, super different. Uh, So you might grip a high palm grip, you might grip a mid palm grip, you might put more pressure on the top of your grip, you might, you know, have your arms straight, you might lean over a little bit when you shoot, you might extend a little bit less, your shoulder might be low, might be high. There's a thousand little things in your individual shooting style that will change the torque and the twist on the bow. And that, if you think about it, that extra little bit of torque is going to make the arrow come out crooked. Yeah. Yeah. repeatability is everything if you do something even if you don't have perfect form if you're doing it the exact same way every time it's good but when you're tuning a bow you're, you're tuning to two things the abstract is the bow perfect and you're tuning to the the problems you have as a person Does That make I,
1: sense? yeah that makes sense
0: <laughs> yeah so guys that have super good form and are amazing i've actually been able to tune a bow and hand it to them and it shoots perfect in their arms too yeah right? Because uh, they are both have good form and it's almost identical. But especially with people like you that are a little newer, you've probably got some little flaws that are going to be different. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And so before we get off the pro shop thing too, like a a full tune of a bow, uh, the problem with tuning is there's no definition of it, right? No one says a bow is tuned when this, right? There's a, a lot of different things people call tuning. And so, yeah, if your bow synced your cams and made sure you had a rough paper, a good paper tear at like two yards. Sounds great. Your bows tune quote unquote. Right. But that trust me, that is still not a good enough tune for shooting like fixed blade broadheads at 40, 50 yards. Um, yeah. And so for someone to do a full tune, like what we'll walk through today, seven steps to actually tuning your bow up, um, might be what the pro shop calls a super tune. Mm -hmm. And that's like an hour or two of effort. And it has to be with you there. Right. And so the reason pro shops won't do that is like they don't have that margin. You know what I mean? They're making $100, $200 on a bow. If they spent, had someone just sit there for two hours with you and you bought it, like that, they're losing money.
1: Right. Yeah. Do some bow shops charge for it if you want to come back and get like a super tune?
0: Yeah. So bow shops will often, you know, tell you, hey, it's 80 bucks or 150 bucks, you know, whatever it is. It's expensive (laughs) for you to come do that. Um, The other really important thing to know is that and we'll talk about this in a minute, but you can't tune right away either. So even if your bow is perfectly tuned when you pick it up out of a bow shop, what's going to happen is your strings and your servings are all going to bed in. No matter how good that string is, there's always a little bedding and your bow is going to go out of tune.
1: Oh, is that because the string stretches?
0: String stretches, the servings bed in, they slit, sit in a different way in the cam. It takes like 50 to 100 shots for them to stabilize. Uh, okay. Pretty well known thing. So you're you're... Shop might tune it the day of, but now you're out of luck, right? And mm-hmm. even over time, I don't want to make guys paranoid or anything, but I'll notice small changes in my tune every you know, three to four months if I'm shooting a ton because it's just slowly oh. you know, stretching and hurting that string. So you definitely, if you want to get that bow tuned by your shop and you're going to go that route, I'd say two things to you. One is that you should still should really understand what we're doing here and like how it works. Mm -hmm. is that if there's a problem in the field, you know it, or you can also make sure the shop's doing it right. And then second is, you know, make sure to do it closer to elk season because that tune can change, right?
1: Right, okay. Yeah, because I was thinking maybe I should tune my bone now, but if I tune it now, then maybe I'll, do you think I'll have to tune it again later, like when I get my broadheads?
0: You know, it's pretty easy. If you understand the process, it's really easy just to tweak it or update it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I tend to tune mine about a month before uh, okay. cause I'm not going to shoot, you know, I'm gonna shoot probably a few hundred times, which is not enough to, to ruin it versus a few thousand times. Mm. Uh, so I'll shoot, you know, tune in a month before, and then I might go check, you know, I'll talk about the foam target way, but you can do that in your room, in your house. It's super easy. Whoa. Okay. So you can just check it. And if you check it and it looks good then you're good to go. And okay. always, 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 always like my gold standard is you should shoot your arrow with the exact broadhead that's on it. Right before you walk up to go elk hunting, so it's pretty easy to tell at that point. Although sometimes it's too late to make changes, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, because when it came to this topic, I was pretty intimidated by it. Like tuning a bow by myself, like it just seems like just as a beginner, it just seems like there's so many factors that go into it, like the cam timing, like where the D loop is on the thing, like your draw length, and like the poundage you're pulling and the arrow weight and all that. So like, it just seems like a really complex topic. So to boil it down to seven steps seems, seems doable, but uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, again, like the other thing that holds guys back from tuning, like the number one thing is the equipment. You need a bow press and you need a uh, draw board. Uh, right. And those okay. two things are expensive and difficult to deal with. You can build a draw board yourself for like 40, 50 bucks. Um, a bow press, you can go borrow one at a range or at a pro shop. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you can pay them to do little things, but that's the real problem. And I fought it for years. There's ways to get around it. Portable bow presses, you know, again, so I'm not, I don't expect all guys to run out and do this entire thing themselves, but at least they know the steps of what needs to happen. Yeah. So at worst, you might go to the bow shop and you're like, I just need you to do this one thing. Right. You know, and that costs you 10 bucks. You go back and you do everything else yourself. Um, And that's pretty key because bows, I mean, stuff gets Western, right? You're out there and you knock it. And all of a sudden, your ability to diagnose that it's shooting weird and fix it in the field is going to save you, could save your elk trip, right?
1: Yeah. I was going to say that's probably one of the most valuable pieces of this conversation we're about to have for people is what you mentioned. Like, yeah, one thing goes wrong. You can tweak it right away. You're not totally helpless. Yep. And I, I was living proof of that. I was uh, that, no, was it my second year
0: when I did Idaho and Colorado? I actually hit a bull in Idaho. I would have had two, two elk that year. <laughs> Um, but I nicked him on the bottom of the breastplate. The only time I've hit an animal and not killed it. And it just bounced off the bottom because it was like eight inches low and I'd knocked my sight and rest a little bit when I dropped the bow and I hadn't figured out how to do it. And so I learned the hard way, like a lot of these things I've learned it the hard way. I'm not speaking from like, this is theoretical, like it hurt, man. Missing that thing hurts so bad. Um, and it's, it was a really easy fix. Like it's sad, mm-hmm. but true. It would have been super easy to fix that in about five minutes. So yeah. Yeah, that is what it is. Wow. Um, anyway, not a fine. I mean, he was totally fine. Spent two days chasing him around just to see him grazing in the middle of a meadow a day and a half later. <laughs> like, okay, he's totally fine. And yeah, really annoying. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we kind of covered the pro shop thing. Um, let me say this tuning is really, really simple because there's exactly two things you worry about <laughs> where your rest touches your arrow and where your knock touches your arrow. Right? That's it. The string and the rest. That's all there is to tuning. So there's a few things you do with the bow to make sure it's good, but you get those out of the way at the beginning, and then you focus on moving the string or moving the rest, and that's all you have to do.
1: Whoa, okay.
0: Yep, and so there's a lot of different ways to do that, and what I'm going to go through is like the escalation, too, of like start with the small things that are easy, and then if you need to, you go to the big things. Gotcha, okay. Um, So before we dive in, though, and that's, we'll just talk about those two things this entire time. Just remember, it's only those two things. The uh, there's a bunch of things a lot of guys aren't familiar with bows, in that if you change a lot of little things, it ruins your tune. So, before you start tuning, you want to have a bunch of things nailed down. Let me just list those off real quick and we can talk about them if you want. Your draw weight, right? Where your max poundage is. That's even more important because you got to choose your arrows and your arrow spine off of those too. But we've already talked about that a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But you got to figure out what your max draw weight is and you got to leave it there after you tune. Your draw length, right? You can't change that. That's going to massively change your tune. Your arrows—we talked about those. You got to have. So you have to have those three things: your draw weight, your draw length, your arrows, um, your rest timing. So your rest should be working fine. If you got a drop away one, your rest timing is working fine. If it's shooting well, yeah, that's it. But you need to get that nailed before. Um, string accessories, sound dampers, leeches, kisser buttons. This is actually applicable to you, I think, Josh. Right? You still got a kisser.
1: Actually. I think you'll be proud to hear this. It fell off two weeks ago and I put a new one on and I've been shooting just fine. I just learned how to anchor properly. And like weird as long as, yeah, as long as the peep is lined up, like it doesn't really matter. Like you got it because of the peep, like you're going to have a good anchor. If it looks the same way when you shoot every time, I think. Remember when I had that gut reaction to that thing, like three months ago, I was like, dude, you don't need that thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, now, you know, Uh, now I think I've got the other four things taken care of. I mean, draw weight, Maybe I'll increase poundage a little bit, but uh, draw length is good. Arrows are good. My rest timing, that's an interesting one because there's a little bit of felt that like scrapes a little bit after I shoot like four or five arrows, like a little bit of felt is like mm-hmm. scraped off a bit. So yep. there might be some contact going on. But Yeah, well, I'd get
0: that. You just get it to the point where it's perfect, right? Yeah. Because yeah, once you set it to, it doesn't really change. Um, okay. Especially the, the ham ski you've got. I shoot a QAD or a ham ski. They're great. We'll do a podcast mm-hmm. on the differences later. Um, yeah. but both of those are so reputable, they're not going to change. Um, yeah, the the only other thing, peep height, right? You got to make sure your peep's set up well for you. But I, I assume that's what most folks are going to do when they're getting everything ready. Yeah. And then the only thing that's not something you tweak on your bow, we talked a little bit about this already, is your shooting form, right? Mm-hmm. So I've tuned with like absolute beginners, like my wife, and it's almost... It's the same as a shotgun. you can't fit a shotgun to someone who's new because if your form is all over the map, like I talked about, it's not consistent. So you can't tune to that consistency.
1: Right. You can't tell if it's the the adjustments to the bow that's making the changes to the shot or if it's the adjustments to the like what the shooter's doing, right? Yep. Yeah. And so You know, if that's you, like, let's, we'll talk about
0: practice next week and some cool things, but like, just shoot your bow as much as you can. Like, that's my advice to you before guys tune is like, get to the point where you're really consistent with your form, at least your form doesn't have to be perfect, but like you're, you consciously can think about, okay, my, my hand is in the right place. I'm anchoring into the wall. I'm doing the basics, right? Right. Draw
1: length, everything. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I am proud of. I've been shooting a lot. Uh, I've averaged about a thousand errors a month, nice. um, that I've been tracking. And, um, yeah, my form and I did two private lessons, like spread out over like four months. Like in the beginning I did one and then four mm-hmm. months later I did another, got a couple adjustments, yeah, man. And so, yeah, I went out to the long range, and like my groups at forty were pretty good, actually. Yeah, you were knocking fletches oh. off those brand new arrows gave I gave you. I did. Already. I knocked two fletches yeah. off, which I was really I was proud. <laughs> I was super proud. It's easy to put fletches on if you fletch yourself. It's super yeah. easy. So. Yeah, so I was like bummed, that. but also happy. Like, whoa, that happened! Um, You'll never shoot groups again once you're a competent <laughs> archer. You never will. You'll yeah. ruin so many arrows. Yeah, that's why I'm excited to go back to the walking range with you and then you can see like the progression I have made since the beginning. Yeah.
0: Well, it's going to be cool. It's been fun to watch already. You've been a, you're
1: definitely pretty What do you shoot like a 280 something and a, and uh, at a At 20 wrong. yards, I shot a 286 is my high score. Yeah. And then my backyard is at 15. I shot a 295 yesterday at 15. Um, yeah. That's but, uh that is nothing to joke about for being as new to archery as you are. So that's uh you're putting in the time, which is really cool. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. It's so fun though. It's so fun. Just you get to mentally reset every shot. Like any guy who's listening to this probably can can relate. Like Archery is just an amazing hobby. Yeah. It's super fun. Very meditative. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So
0: back to the the basics, right? We got those are the things you gotta change. Um remember we're getting to the the tuning part. We're just talking about the things you gotta get out of the way to get there. Right. Uh so step one out of the seven in my mind is to set up the basics on the bow. Mm-hmm. And there's there's three things there, and we'll hit them. Um, and you can get away with not doing these. Most bows are going to be fine. But, man, it's annoying if you spend an hour or two tuning, and then you realize you could have just fixed it at the beginning.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh,
0: so it's one is checking your axle-to-axle axle and your brace height. Okay. Right? So every bro bow comes with a spec. So, for example, yours is a 35-axle-to-axle, axle, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so what I'd do real quick is I'd get a tape measure or something, and I would just measure... You measure from the top side of the top axle to the top side of the bottom axle or something like that. And just make sure it's roughly in spec. Okay. If you're like 35 and a fourth inches, you're okay. If it's like 35 and a half, you're over a fourth of an inch out of spec. That's probably something they should fix by twisting the string to make your draw uh, length a little shorter. So you have to tr- uh, twist the, the bus or the control cable Okay. to do that. Um, but your shop, your shop will know how to do that. I would just identify it to the shop or whoever's doing it and say, hey, listen, my axle's too long. Same with your brace height. Your bow might, I think yours is like six and a half. Just do a quick measure. It's from where the the webbing between your thumb and your pinky touches to the string itself. And you add, I think, an inch or two. I can't remember. Pretty easy to Google that one.
1: Yeah. Um, your thumb and pinky, like when you're the hand that you're using to grip the bow.
0: Yeah. You can just Google like how to measure brace height. It's uh, okay. There's like a trillion articles out there on that one. Yeah. But uh, you're just checking the basics because you're making sure your string length isn't totally off. Mm hmm. Uh, an important thing to know for you and for a lot of guys is if you backed off your bow like five or 10 pounds, mm-hmm. your, your those limbs, if you think about it, you, you tighten them up, they spread apart and get closer to the riser, yeah, which is the thing you hold. So if you have backed it out, you're going to see a shorter string length or brace, sorry, axle to axle, and you're going to see a longer brace height.
1: Oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So it's
0: not a problem with the bow if it's because you backed it out. Yeah, so All I'm doing here is just making sure that stuff is remotely in the ballpark and you're good to go. Almost any new bow is going to be there, but it's mm-hmm. worth checking because you never know.
1: Yeah. And by backed it out, do you mean like, like when I first got the bow, I backed it down to like 47 pounds to just start off with? Yeah. Yeah. That's a massive difference in a PSC. Yeah.
0: The PSCs lets you do like 20, 25 pounds. Yeah. It's <laughs> huge. Uh, my <laughs> wife shoots a 60 pound bow at 44 pounds. No problem. Right. Can back it out to 38. Uh, so, th- obviously, I'm not looking at the specs that are put on the riser there. Um, and almost every bow has a little white sticker with those specs on it. If you don't know off the top of your head, you can go look at those. Okay. Um, so, that's one. Second is finding center shot on your arrow rest. So, center shot is the recommendation the manufacturer has for where the arrow should be, uh, as to how far the arrow should be from the riser on the rest. So, they say, hey, this is the dead center of the bow.
1: Oh, I see. Okay. Yep. And I think
0: on PSCs, it's 13th, 16th. It changes by your, your bow manufacturer. Just Google bow name, center shot, and someone will have it. It's really yeah. easy to find. But that's them telling you, hey, this is the center. And when everything's working perfectly, your, bow, your arrow should be going kind of straight down the center. Gotcha. And it's really important to set that up first. You know, move your arrow to that point because mm-hmm. one of the biggest changes you've got in one of your two points. Your left and right is to move that rest left and right or up or down right and so if you're already on the edge of the range you can't move it because you like have nowhere left to go right 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 that makes sense so i always start by setting my arrow to center shot so you're dead center of the range of movement and you're right of the manufacturer
1: specs and so when you mean set your arrow center, do you do that by moving the rest left or right or how do you, how do you set it center
0: yep yeah you do that by moving the rest so you take your tape measure You'd stick it against the inside of the riser. You'd measure 13 sixteenths. Mm-hmm. And you would look at the dead center of the arrow. Not the edge of the arrow. Yeah, the dead center of the
1: arrow. And is that at 13 16ths? Cool. Lock it down. Gotcha. Okay, so you're just making yep. sure the shaft is like the perfect distance away from the, the, like the riser, the material of the bow.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay.
1: And so you're kind of just
0: setting everything to the middle of the range. Yeah. Uh, the last thing of those three would be leveling your arrow. Mm-hmm. which is now you're looking at your arrow from the side. If you're looking at the bow from the side, you're making sure that it's not pointing up or down too much. Mm-hmm. I'd put it right at 90 degrees through the middle of the Berger hole. And for guys that aren't fami- familiar, the Berger hole is the hole the rest screws into. Okay, It's that little thing. And that they actually use that, manufacturers use that as a way to tell you where the arrow should be going. So if you're looking dead on from the side, the ber- arrow should be sitting in the dead middle of that and if you put like a little bubble level on it or something like that, it should be at 90 degrees to the string.
1: Yeah. Is the only way to do that to have somebody measure it for you while you're at full draw? No, that's that's just sitting there actually. Oh, interesting. Yep. Okay.
0: No, well, both of these are while it's just sitting there knocked in the in the bow. Okay. And you know, some bows like a not an eighth of an inch high, yada, yada, yada. Um, I'm not gonna get into that much detail on this. Guys can shoot me a question if they've got it. Like my Hoyt used to love that. Uh, but PSCs or any modern binary bow, which is we'll get into some of those differences later, is gonna like, you know, dead down the middle, dead in the middle of the berger hole,
1: ninety degrees. So. And that's if you're like having the bow like resting on a table, right? Because if I'm holding it and I knock the arrow, like then the arrow is gonna like go down at a downward angle, right? Yeah, it's the hardest and this is one of the harder parts of tuning, is you you
0: don't don't have a bow jig or something to hold the bow, mm-hmm. but it's with the bow dead straight up or down. Okay. And so there's a lot of complex stuff guys can do for that. Um, If you've got a bubble level in your garage, and this is one of the tools you kind of do need. I have a bubble level that's like 36 inches. And what I'll do is I'll hold the bow up against, excuse me, a door jam. Or you can buy a, like a, a bike stand for like 50, 60 bucks. And you just put it in there and you got to make sure the bow itself is perfectly level. And you do that off the string. Yeah, I see. And then you measure that stuff. And so now guys are getting a little scared. Like, don't worry about it. If you had a remotely reputable shot, they've shop, they've done that already. Okay. It's pretty safe to assume that your arrows roughly level and you can actually eyeball it. Okay. So it's, it's pretty easy to eyeball it and just look at it from the side and go, okay, that's about 90 and it runs through the Berger hole. We're good.
1: Sounds good. So that's bow basics is first measure axle, axle, brace height, make sure it's around what it should be. Like when it, how it uh, matches the description. Mm-hmm. Second is the center shot on the arrow rest. So making sure it goes through that berger hole. Yep. And then third is leveling the arrow. And if you notice those last two things, what have we done? We've done two things. We've made sure it's
0: in the middle side to side, and we've made sure it's in the middle up and down. Up and down.
1: Oh, right. okay. So yeah, you're picking so up on red- a
0: trend. You're only playing with two things, side to side and up and down. Got it. Okay. So it's all these things sound massively complicated, but that's really all you're doing is playing with the direction of the arrow. Um, hmm so then, um, and in hindsight, you probably should do this before, but uh, the cams, uh, cam sync and timing. So if you're, uh, and I know guys are probably familiar with this, and this is what most people think when they hear tuning a bow. So if you've got almost any modern bow, you've got two cams. Single cams are, were around, what, four or five years ago. There's still one or two on the market, but almost every bow now is two cams. And those cams have to be in synchronization. So they need to be turning at the exact same point, like a clock, at the same time. Got it. And the reason that is, is that if they aren't doing that, they're exerting a different amount of pull on the string. So if I gave you, if we're playing tug at rope, it's kind of hard because the bow goes up and down. But if we're doing tug at rope, it's side to side. If one person's pulling harder than the other person, what happens? The middle of that string gets pulled to one side, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happens with the bow that's out of sync is the knock or the knocking point where the arrow connects. If one cam is ahead of the other, it pulls up on that more than the other one, right? Oh, up or down. Okay. And so you get what's called bad vertical knock travel. So the knock of that arrow as it's shooting doesn't shoot in a perfectly straight line. It kind of curves,
1: right? Does that make sense? Makes sense. So basically if the cam timing's off, like when you pull out to full draw, that... D loop has moved up or it's moved down a little bit instead of like pulling straight out, right? Yep. And that
0: is what all arrow tuning oh. is. You're trying to get perfectly straight knock travel or knock travel that compensates for deficiencies or changes in the bow.
1: Yeah. And I remember we did this for when we backed out down my bow to like 47 pounds at, at your place. We looked at the cam sink and is the only way to do it just by eyeballing it?
0: yeah well you put it in a so to do this and this is one where you might need a shop well you definitely need a shop if you don't have a draw board right and you throw it in the draw board you connect if you guys aren't familiar a draw board is like a little peg you stick your handle on the peg you connect a hook to the d loop and you just start cranking this little machine it basically draws your bow along a board mm-hmm. the board usually has markings to tell you draw length and all that sort of stuff and what you do is once you get a full draw at that, you know, in the valley, you'd go up and you'd look and there's little pegs on each of the cams and either they're on the cam or it's, um, it hits and the, the peg hits the string or it hits the limb. Regardless, when those things make contact tells you if those cams are in synchronization. Gotcha. Okay. There's nuances on each different bow, but that's, that's it. And so what you're doing is you're just looking and trying to make sure those two things are contacting at the same time. Yeah because that's properly timing something a bow 201 tuning 201 a, a bow can be with have perfect timing where they're both contacting at the same time and still be out of sync but we're not gonna go there <laughs> <laughs> like it's if you get those two things touching at the same time those two pegs 95 99 of the time you're fine
1: okay cool so those are all the bow basics before you start tuning
0: Yep. And you would need, like I said, you'd need a bow press. The only way to change those too. so guys are like, cool, you told me what I need to do, but how do you actually change that? The only way to change when those contact is to twist your strings, uh, your bus, your cable. Um, so when you twist a string, the material is so rigid that you're actually shortening it. Yeah. If you t- twist to the right, mm-hmm. if you twist to the left, you're loosening it because you're undoing twists. That's another really important thing in bow tuning. Is never undo twists. The reason being, never undo more twists than the bow came with. Okay. The reason being is when they make this uh, the strings, they twist them up, right? There's a set amount of twists in them. Mm-hmm. Then they put on the serving, and the serving is this thing that goes around it. It's those little tiny threads, you know, where you knock your arrow. Yeah. They're usually black on stock bows. Yeah, yeah. And if you're untwisting the the string inside of the serving. That makes the serving fall off or gets loose or it gets. Oh, I see. So you don't, you always want to add. And so I find it really useful whenever I'm tuning bows, I have a single, you know, Evernote or, or a digital note that I just put all the changes I've ever done into the bow on that note. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because then if I'm making a change, I'm like, I need to take stuff out. I'll just look. I'll be like, okay, well, I added three twists to that cable. You know, when I tuned it last time, I can take two out and it's fine. Oh,
1: I see. That's smart.
0: Yeah. So it's a good it's a good thing, but you never want to do that. So the only way to change your cam sync is to, to add, add twists to the bus or the control cable. And those are the two cables that aren't the drawstring. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's a shop. will know how to do that. Um, and I've got a video linked to how to do this on the, the article on the site. If you guys want visual, we're not going to cover the exact nitty gritty here. Cause that would, this would be a two hour podcast. Um, so that's it. You got that set. The last thing, and this is step three in the seven step process in my mind, uh, is making sure your sight is level. So,
1: oh, wait, did we skip step two or, or, or step was...
0: two is syncing the cams?
1: Okay. So, yeah, step one, bow basics. Step two, cam sync. Mm-hmm. Three is the sight.
0: Yeah, but now that I'm looking at this, we probably should swap the cam sync, but whatever. But yeah, level your sight. So, a lot of guys aren't aware that if your bow is canted, or leaned to one side meaning if you're looking straight at your bow and you've got it tipped to the left or tipped to the right mm-hmm. that changes the arrow's impact because it comes out of the bow crooked yeah so if you're tuning a bow and you're doing that you're tilting it to the left one time you're tilting it to the right and you don't know it you got a real big problem right mm-hmm. and even worse if you have your your level on your sight and it's not actually set up at a true 90 degrees. Then you're tuning to something that's wrong. It's going to be really, really hard to tune. Oh, I see.
1: Everything's tuning to some some like true north. That's not even north.
0: Exactly. And so I've got a good video on there. I link to. I tend to use a long bubble level again, and I just set that bubble level against the outside of both limbs mm-hmm. on either side, and I get that running dead up and down, perfect. And then I set my bubble level on my site to dead up and down. Perfect. Interestingly, really, okay. really easy. You can't really screw that up because the string, you're measuring the string, right? A lot of other methods use a bunch of funky different bubble levels and you know, it's setting different things up. But that way you've got such a long distance between the two contact points on that bubble level that it's spot on every time.
1: Oh, interesting. So you, you you're you use the bubble level like vertically and are you making sure the housing is like completely 90 degrees, like perpendicular.
0: Yeah. So I'm putting, so let's see if we can visualize this. I've got the bow and I'm holding it like I'm shooting. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to have it in a jig or I might have it up against a door jam, you know, just the edge of a door. Yeah. And I'm going to take that bubble level and stick it onto the side of the bow. Yeah. Onto the two limbs, top limb and bottom limb. Oh, I see. Okay. Yep. And that's going to tell me, is that bow leaning left or right? Yeah. 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 And then I'll fix the sight bubble level which is going to tell you that too so you're just getting those two in sync makes sense Um, and so a lot of bows if guys are trying to cut corners here a lot of bows that are machined out of aluminum they're going to be pretty good and if your site comes set up it's probably okay but if you do have a adjustable bubble level on the site and you you should set it so Mm -hmm. really important to do um, just to get stuff ready And then you can set the rest of your site up later. It's not a bad time, though, just to set up your third axis, but uh, I'll link to that there as well. Okay, so now you've kind of got all the basics set, right? Like, that already sounds a little complicated, but you've got got everything set up so that you know you're in the center of the range and nothing else is going to affect the tune at this point, right? Yeah, so easy peasy. Now, step four is, in my mind, is picking the right method to understand what's going on with your arrow. Okay. So your arrow comes out of the bow, right? And it can come out crooked. It can come out straight. But if you've got fletching on that arrow, the job of the fletching is to create air drag and drag that arrow back into fairly straight. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if you just shoot an arrow with fletching on it, it won't really tell you what's going on when it comes out of the bow. Right, because it's already compensating for it. Exactly. And so guys will, and this is the biggest reason guys don't think they need to tune their bows. So they're shooting field points and they're shooting them. they're like, well, they're all hitting in roughly the same location. But what they don't realize is that arrow might be coming out of the bow crooked and then it's zooming straight ahead at that crooked angle every time. But they've set their bow up to compensate for that. So they've just moved their sight over to that point. And they're yeah. like, well, oh, it works totally fine. Right. Oh. Everything's good. Now, when you throw a broadhead on there, it's going to be a disaster.
1: Yeah, because it's that, coming out crooked and then like all the the drag in the surface here is just gonna push that boat or that arrow way left or way right. Right. Yeah. You're
0: learning, young Padawan, like the arrow episode, right? You got all that uh got all that drag on the broadhead. So that mm-hmm. that drag is basically like putting fletching on the front of your arrow. Yeah. So it's gonna fight the back of your arrow. So right. unless it's dead stinking straight, it's gonna be a, a tug of war that's not gonna end in a good way. Mm-hmm. So the way most guys Hear about this, and the way they they think of bow tuning, they think paper tuning, right? And so, paper tuning is sitting there with a target, and you put a sheet of paper and a jig, or like something that just holds it between you and the target, and you shoot your arrow through it. And the way that arrow tears the paper shows you what's going on with the arrow in flight. Yeah, right. And you generally have to do it at pretty close range if you're shooting an arrow with fletchings on it. Because otherwise, it's going to stabilize, right? Mm -hmm. So, you start at a pretty uh, low way. So, there's some upsides to that, right? Like, it's the industry standard. A lot of guys do it. You're going to be able to find a jig sometimes at your pro shop at an archery range. They might let you borrow it. Like, it's pretty easy to get a hold of that stuff. It's a real pain in the butt if you're trying to do it at home because now you got to buy this giant frame or build it. You got to store it. You got to buy paper reams. You know, it's not fun. Yeah right? And so for an at-home bow mechanic, not great. If you're trying to just borrow a bag or steal, it's a good way to do it. Gotcha. Um, second way of doing this stuff, uh, bear shafts into a consistent target. And this is my favorite method. And this is what I do at home. So a lot of guys will freak out and tell you that bear shafts are too sensitive for you to tune. Um, and that is completely and utterly wrong. What they're thinking, but in their experiences, right? Let me explain that. They're thinking, hey, you're going to tune at five or ten yards, and that bare shaft is going to go so crooked, and it's so affected by little changes in your form that there's no way you're going to be able to tune. Now, bare shaft is a shaft with no fletchings on it, right? And it does respond like crazy to any little input because there's no fletching to correct it. Yeah. But all that means is that you need to figure out what's going on with the bare shaft closer to your bow before it has time to react. Which is actually a really, really awesome thing for home mechanics, because that means you can shoot it like three feet and it will show you a much bigger change than a fletched arrow.
1: So you're oh, able interesting.
0: To, yeah. So it's actually a benefit if you're tuning at home to shoot bear shafts because you're able to see a much bigger change.
1: Yeah. Well, one of my arrows blew through the target and the fletchings all get messed up. So I took all the fletchings off it. <laughs> so <laughs> there that's you go. The one.
0: That's the one, yeah. You can do that. You can If guys have arrows, they can cut them down um, and just literally trim. And you don't have to trim off the little part. You just cut to the base of it, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Just take a razor blade and slide it along there. Some really anal guys that uh, tune with bare shafts actually like to put the wrap and the fletchings on and cut them off because they're like, well, it's closer to the weight and that might affect the way the arrow bends and yada, yada. I I haven't noticed that much. And I'll tune bare shafts with fletch points at 30, 40 yards, so clearly going fine mm-hmm. um so with this method um and this is we're getting deep in this but we'll get deep here and hopefully it saves us time later with this method basically what you're gonna do is you have a target that's consistent and that's so so important because you want the the target to catch an arrow the same way it's flying so you can't have a bag target with like a stiff face and a different density center oh because what will happen is it'll straighten out the arrow when it impacts right? Yeah. Um, you have basically have to have a foam target. Okay. it's just like the same foam the whole way through because as the arrow goes in, it's going to stay the direction it was flying. Oh, I see. There's nothing yeah. that's changing it when it hits the target. Mm-hmm. So what you're going to do is you're going to shoot a fletched arrow because the fletched arrow is going to come back to straight and you're going to shoot a broadhead and you're just going to compare the two.
1: Oh, wait. So you're going to shoot a fletched arrow and then a broadhead. Oh, sorry, not a broadhead, a bear shaft. A bear shaft, okay. Woo.
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're going to shoot a fletched arrow and a bear shaft and compare the two. And so by doing that, you literally can tell, oh, there's a, there's a knock left tear like paper tuning or a knock right tear or a, you know, vertical knock tear, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Wait, so you still shoot it through paper? No,
0: no paper at all. Just shoot it into the target. And what you're looking for at the target is you're not comparing where they hit on the target. That's another misconception. That's what a lot of guys think of when they're tuning bear shafts and that's another way to do it that's not this way you're literally looking at them from from left to right from behind or up and down from the side and you're just seeing how is that arrow flying compared to one that's fletched
1: oh i see so you're looking at the uh bear shaft and the one with fletchings when they're both the arrows are in that foam target and you're just comparing like how those are coming out like maybe it's angled up or angled down or like left or right So when you look at the back, like if you're looking at the knock, should it just be like perfect? Like you don't see the arrow shaft. It's just like a straight shot.
0: Yeah. You basically look down the fletched arrow's arrow shaft like it's straight and then look at the other one and see what's going on. Um, And obviously, since they're not in the same spot, you can't, you have to kind of mentally figure out what the difference is. Yeah. But so I have a, there's a link to a great video up on the website. There's a picture of this on the website. Mm -hmm. guys get a little wigged out by this one but the real benefit of this is like if you have a foam target you have everything you need to tune you don't ever have to deal with finding a paper jig setting stuff up it's really really stinking easy and you can just keep doing this at further and further distances as you get tune gets better and better so that's method number two method number three if you're really ambitious is just going straight to putting broadheads on your arrows Okay. So you can put a broadhead, you got to know your tunes at least somewhat close for this, or you got to start shooting really close. Yeah. But you can put a broadhead on one arrow and put nothing, you know, field tip on the other. And then you're shooting them and comparing where they impact both with the fletchings on, but where they impact both with fletchings. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so that will show you, you know, what's going on as well. Um, and I've got a guide to what all these things, Show you and what you need to do, and we'll talk about that in a second. So, yeah. if guys can mentally separate that in their mind, there's paper tuning, there's bear shafts into a consistent target, or there's a broad head and field points. Okay. Right? And so, what I'm going to do here, and there's a link to a video for each of those three methods up on the site because it's we can't take the time to describe them all in detail and what you need to do for each. But yeah. all three of those are going to tell you the same thing, which is is the arrow flying with its knock, which is the back end. You always look at it from the back end. Is it flying with its knock, high, low, left, or right, or a combination, right? Okay. And that's really what it is. So once you figure that out, you're now able to tune. And so this is step five, right? So the Mm -hmm. first thing you always do is you fix the up or the down in the aero shaft, the vertical knock travel. Yeah. Because vertical is way, way easier to fix. Right, the things you do to change that are much simpler than the things you do to move it left and right. So you, you want to remove that out of the equation. And it's pretty rare that when you shoot an arrow, you get a perfectly left or right or a perfectly up and down mm-hmm. tear or rip or bend or whatever, you know, whatever you're using to figure that out. Um, you almost always get a diagonal one. Yeah, because like one, you know, one or two things are there as well. And so what you don't want to do is try to fix both at once because they affect each other, you'd fix the vertical one until so you get a perfectly left or right bow tear. And then you're like, cool, uh, I fixed the vertical,
1: right? Okay. So, uh, sorry to back up for a second. With yep. the, when you shoot the one with fletchings in there, and let's say it goes in, uh, let's say it goes in perfectly. Then you shoot the one with the bear shaft and let's say it's leaning, like the knock is like bottom right. Yeah. Then, then I need to make it Go up first a little right.
0: bit. Yes. Yeah, so they'd call that a knock low and a knock right tear. right? Okay. Low, right. And so if yeah. you're looking at it from the back, that knock is kind of like at the, what would that be? Like the 4.30 position on a clock. Right. Yeah. 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 Yep. And so you'd say, okay, well, I need to get that to fix the no- the vertical travel. You'd be like, I need to get that knock up to three o'clock. Yeah. Okay. And then you fix the up and down,
1: right? Yeah. So how do you adjust the up and down?
0: Yeah. So the up and down, you almost always with these things start with the arrow rest Mm -hmm. because there's two points. Remember there's to change up or down, you can do one of two things. You can move, move it up or down on the string, or you can move the rest up or down. Those are the only two things you can do to change
1: the arrow. Right. Yeah. And by the string, do you mean like moving the D loop up and down?
0: Exactly. And that's a lot harder, right? You got to tie a D loop. You got to do a lot of stuff. It's a pain in the butt. Yeah. So Start with the rest, right. And take the rest and uh, start moving it up or down. So um, for this, and I've got a one pager on this that Gold Tip or link to a one pager that Gold Tip has, which is awesome because it's got a picture of the tear and a picture of what you should do. Oh, okay, so it's cool. a lot easier than me describing it. So, you guys can go there and click that. Yeah, but if you've got a low tear, which and they also talk about the three different things a low tear is equal to a high bear shaft equals to a high broadhead, <laughs> and that's going to blow your mind there for a second because if you think about Let's see if we can explain this. Let's try. It's pretty hard. It's very easy when you're looking at the example. But yeah. if you have a knock low, your knock is at six o'clock when you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. The back of the arrow is down. Yeah. If you had fletchings on there, what would happen is that arrow is pointed which direction?
1: If you had fletchings on there, the arrow is pointing up.
0: Well, actually forget, forget the fletchings. Okay. The back of the arrow is down. Where's the front of the arrow then? Pointing up. It's pointing up. Mm -hmm. right so if you put fletchings on there that would grab and it would direct the arrow up yeah the arrow comes out of the bow pointing up and those fletchings catch the air and that arrow just shoots off straight up
1: yeah like levels the back up to where the field tip was right yep and
0: so that's where guys start
1: to get real confused
0: is that a knock low tear is the same as your broadheads hitting high oh i see i see yep so you really got to use the right the method you've chosen to tune you have to stick with that and use that exact advice so look at this visual go there if you know you're tuning with broadheads just look at what it says hey low broadheads you need to do
1: this yeah that makes sense because if the broadhead is like angled up it's like like a plane taking off and and you shoot it out like it's just the the it's just like a plane taking off like it's just going to shoot super high and the broadhead's going to end up way high. i'm so glad you said that that's such
0: a good example man like the yeah it'd be when you're shooting a bear shaft it's like a plane without wings right yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> and it's angling to take off and so when you put those wings on there you're putting fletchings on you're putting things mm-hmm. to create drag and so the second you put the wings on it's going to take off right yeah. <laughs> it's going to go go the direction it's pointed right? right right and so that's exactly the analogy yeah that's really good um, and so when you've got that you can you could change a bunch of things, right? But I always start with the arrow rest with any tuning okay. because that's so easy. You just undo one screw, you move it up or down. Yeah. Um, and a little goes a really long way here. Like, you know, an eighth or a sixteenth of an inch can make a half inch or a fourth inch tear disappear. So, yeah, start small. You know, you're they've got these little white lines on all your rests. And it, there's a reason they've got so many little white lines is that most people are only going to adjust like one of those or half of one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so start with like one or two lines and just see what happens. And if you were, we're not going to cover this all because it's going to make guys' brains blow up. Like just go look at the, go look at the card and it's got this. But if you had a knock low tear, you'd actually have to lower your arrow rest because as you lower the arrow rest, you're lowering the front of the plane. Right. Ah, okay. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's it. You could also, what you could move the back up.
1: Which is right. not which is the string, the, right? the D loop yep. up. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. You could change, you know, the cam timing. That's pretty advanced. I hope you don't have to get to that point. You can, mm-hmm. you know, do what we were talking about earlier where you have one cam move a little faster than the other, which pulls up on the string, right? right? Right. But that's gosh, that's like step three. Don't do that unless you really need to. Yeah. Um, that's advanced tuning. And at that point, you know, either your shop or you can do that. But those are really the two things, right? And okay. Most of the time with a well-spined arrow that's built for the right bow, you're going to be able to fix vertical knock travel with uh, just moving the rest up and down.
1: Okay. Yeah. That sounds simple enough. Yeah. So first fix the upper down and usually you start with the rest. Um, it's just way easier. It sounds way easier. I don't know how to tie a D loop at all. So yeah.
0: yeah. And there's you're John Dudley's been a huge positive impact on archery. He's got some really good videos. I actually linked to a few of them in these you could Google uh, School of Knock how to tie a D loop or how to tie a rest. He's got great ways of doing that. Uh, nice. I've got ways I do it too, but for now, just link to the guys that that are doing great work. Yeah. Um, so you, know, you could do that if you really wanted, but uh, most of the time, if I can get it, you know, the only times I wouldn't do that is if I've got to raise my rest so high, right? Like where it, it looks really funky. Yeah. Because my general take on bow tuning is I want that arrow to come out of the bow pretty much right where the, the manufacturer spec'd it. Mm-hmm. And I'll fix the bigger systematic things if I need to. Yeah. So if you're raising it up and it's like at the top or the bottom of the Berger hole, it's like an eighth of an inch high, like that's fine, right? Yeah. But if all of a sudden you're raising it and you look at the bow from the side, and it looks like that airplane taking off just sitting there. You're like...
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: That's not going to lead to good flight. That's going to be really hard to tune with broadheads, even if it's in theory coming straight out of the bow. Gotcha. Okay. Because you're it's it's usually just an indicator that your D loop's tied in the wrong place. Oh, I see. Yeah. I've actually had a Bose with broke cams. Hoyt came out with a bad cam on the Defiant series, and I got one of those, and there's some things that just get really annoying there. But (laughs) I can
1: Yeah. talk about triple guessing yourself <laughs> uh, just <laughs> tweaking this tweaking that tweaking this and like it's all not working yeah oh, so hard
0: <laughs> yeah, i know um yeah so you fixed vertical right now you've got an arrow that's tuning somewhere between on a direct line between 3 and 9 o'clock right yeah. it's going left to right and then this is the hardest part of tuning to remove um and so again i've got a link to a great one pager that gold tip put out on there and again start with the rest right like if you were uh let's just use an example if you're getting a knock right tear which means you know we said low right so we're sticking with that we fixed the low now we've got right which means the back of the arrow if you're looking looking at it from the knock the back of the arrow is to the right yeah you would move the rest to the left which is not not intuitive for a lot of guys, but that's going to be the direction you move the rest to fix that.
1: Whoa, you moved the rest to the left. Okay. Yeah. Because
0: as you, ooh, I don't know if I can explain this on a podcast, but as the arrow comes out, if it doesn't have fletchings, all the weight, like a ton of the weight is in the point at the front. Yeah. So the arrow might actually come out diagonal and that the back of that arrow swings around. Yeah. Like it follows that point and swings around. So I, there's no way I can do that without a YouTube video. I want to do that one day, but <laughs> yeah, just, just trust me. Look at this, look at the card that's linked up there. If it's a right tear, you got to
1: move the, the rest to the left. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's, it's just so counterintuitive. You think like if the point of the arrow is going to the left, then I'm going to move the rest also to the left. It seems like it exaggerate it for some reason. Yeah. But- yeah, that's weird. No, and there's a
0: thing called the Archer's Paradox, which is an arrow actually doesn't point to where it's going. It bends as you shoot it. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'm not, again, I don't want to get too crazy. It's fun. Look it up sometime. Arrows actually, since they don't ever fly perfectly straight, they're oscillating mm-hmm. as they shoot. Yeah. It leads to a lot of this weird behavior, but that is what it is. Um, so, this is one where if you can fix it with a real small rest tweak, that's awesome. But, uh, that happens sometimes there's pretty good odds. It might not work that way. So what I do is I try to fix it with the left or right arrow or rest movement. Mm -hmm. And if I get to the point where it's still tearing and it's starting to again, get pretty obvious that that thing is sitting cocked out to the left or the right. Yeah. Like if you can look down on it and it's really obvious or you've moved it over, like call it a, I'm trying to think of the right numbers here, like an eighth or a, uh, you know, fourth of an inch at worst, fourth is pretty crazy. If you moved it over an eighth and you start getting it where it's really going out to one side or the other, Mm -hmm. that's the point at which I would put the rest back to center shot and I would focus on fixing the left or the right movement of the string. Okay, and how do you do that? So this is where it gets a little more advanced, right? Um, To move, and this depends on your bow type. And so the nice thing about most bows now is almost all manufacturers are going to the binary design. Um, so it's not, there used to be like eight cam systems and 20% of the bows or five cam systems and 20% were made in each. Now you've kind of generally got two types. Okay. But, uh, you can do a few things. You can either shim, you can move the cams themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you think about the bow and you take those cams and you slide them left to right, you're sliding the string left to right. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do in a binary cam or a, a floating yoke. Let's say floating yoke because it's there's different designs of floating yokes. And a floating yoke, for guys that aren't familiar, is you look at it, you look at your bus and your control, the two cables that are not your drawstring, and they have a piece of cable that goes up and attaches to kind of a U-shaped piece of cable that goes around the yeah. cam, right? That's like the one I have on the PSC, I think. Exactly. Like PSCs, um, what else? Primes, Sumbo um, Matthews, all those guys are going to be that way. And so you're going to have to physically shim the cam over. So move the cam. We'll talk about what that is in a second. The generally other option, we're going to cover about 90% of bows. If you're not in these two options, shoot me a message. Um, The other option is a yoke. And this is the current Hoyts, the old Hoyts and the current Hoyts, even though they've moved the cam system on the bottom, but that's another story. A yoke, if you look at it, Uh, not a floating yoke, just a yoke, is if you look at that string and that string literally separates, like the string splits. Turns into a Y. Turns into a Y. And it hooks onto the outside of the limb, not onto the cam, the outside of the limb on either side. Yeah. And so you gotta, you can do one of two things with the shimming. And what the shimming is, let's go over that and then we'll go over the other method and we'll talk through these two. The shimming You've got the two limbs, right, and you've got the cam, mm-hmm. and then between the limbs and the cam itself, there's these little tiny spacers, yeah, right, And you can move those spacers from the left to the right. You always have to keep the same amount of spacers on there, right, or mm-hmm. cam would be free floating. You move them from the left to the right, and you're physically moving that cam to the left or the right, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's going to move the string to the left or the right mm-hmm. um, and so that would be for a right tear, you'd actually move the wheels to the right. Again, it's all in the diagram. Don't freak out about it, right? The other system, if you're talking about moving or using yokes, is to twist or untwist yokes. So like the string, you're, you're twisting a string that shortens or unshortens it, right?
1: Oh, okay, yeah.
0: And by doing that, if you think about, you got this Y, and if you tighten one side and untighten the other, what you're doing is you're leaning that cam over one direction or the other, mm-hmm. right? And when you lean that cam over, it effectively changes, it effectively moves that string to that side. Yeah. And so that's the, the different way to do that. Now, when you're doing this, if we're getting into the advanced mode, I generally would check my cam lean. You can lay an arrow against it and look at where it intersects the string. And if it intersects near the, uh, the, the D loop, then it's pretty straight. If it intersects to the other side, it's pretty easy to tell it's leaning one way or the other. And I would oh, think so. about
1: yeah, keep going. So that means like if I lay the bow down flat on a table and then I have the cam and I put an arrow on the cam so it's going straight. And then I just angle the arrow to like see where it's going to meet the string. Is that what you mean by intercept? Yeah, okay. So straight up or
0: down. Gotcha. Um, and so what I would do is I'd look at that first and I'd go, okay, what's the cam lean on this bow? Because you mm-hmm. know what adjustment you need to do. You're like, well, I need to move them right or left. Yeah. And I'd look at the cams and see, hey, is there one cam... That moving it to the right would be a good thing. It'd get it more straight up or down, mm-hmm. and that's the cam. I'd do it too. Oh, okay. Or you could do a very minor change on both. But when you're shimming a bow, like a PSE, um, really tiny changes—two hundredths of an inch, tiny, tiny spacers—got a photo of this in the article. Will change almost an inch tear left. Like it's wow, a massive difference. Um, so another word on shimming before we get on to the other side of the house. Uh, you're going to get a lot of pushback from guys because what happened is historical bows almost never needed to be shimmed for a lot of reasons we can't cover here because of the cam design. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the old-schooled guys, they're like, there's just no need you'd ever need to shim a bow. There's just no way. But these new binary designs that have come out in the past few years, it's a very standard and normal thing.
1: Okay.
0: Um, and you've noticed, you know, Matthews has what they call top hats. Prime just came out with a version that can be shimmed. PSC has always had shims. Like they've all realized you have to do it. So they've, they've all come out with bows that allow you to shim. And if you have an old one that doesn't, you can be straight out of luck. You might have to just build a different arrow, which is pretty annoying.
1: Yeah. Do you have, uh, do you have to have like special tools to remove those shimmings out of the bow? Oh wait, you need a bow press first. You need a bow press. Yeah. Yeah. So this would be one that you can
0: take to the, this would be the point if someone's not familiar just to take it to the bow shop. Yeah. But they would, uh, yeah, they would help you out with that. And you basically, you remove a C-clip, you slide the axle out, catch all those shims. <laughs> Remember which side they were on. Dear
1: goodness. Oh,
0: yeah. Easy. And uh, they just move one over, plop it right back in. Okay. That's all you got to do. You can actually shim it in the, the bow press. It's pretty About easy. It. You, uh, yes, yeah, it's not too tough. Okay. So then the fixed yoke systems, and this is one upside of those. And um, there's trade-offs between the two systems. One upside of the yoke system is you can just put it in a bow press. You just, pull those two strings off, you twist them or untwist them and put them right back on. You're done. Yep. Yep.
1: Yep. Easy easy. enough.
0: Easy peasy. The downside of that, and I'm getting real advanced here for 30 seconds, but bear with me. Downside of that system is you will always have to adjust every single string you put on it because it's about the string tension. And if the string stretches, the tune changes. Oh, versus the PSE, if you've got it set up perfect and they give you a string of the exact same length, it's Mm going to work. So you could, in theory, cut a string off the PSE, put a new one on it, it could still be in tune. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. There's a lot of nuance to that, but uh, yeah. Anyway, for guys that are like, oh my gosh, why would I not get a Hoyt? Um, There's upsides and downsides to both. Yeah. Um, So the yoke system, you just got to make sure you, if you take out a half a twist to one, you want to take out a half a twist to the other because otherwise you're effectively shorting the entire or changing the length of the entire string, which is going to change your tune.
1: Right. You just want to go
0: left and right, not up and down, not up and down. Yeah. So that's it. Botech Revolt. They have a new one called the Deadlock, which allows you to actually make these changes just by like moving an Allen wrench, which is kind of cool. Oh, wow. Um, that, that is cool. It's a real benefit for guys that want to tune at home but don't want to buy things. I think it's a yeah. cool thing. And I, you know, bow manufacturers used to chase speed. Mm-hmm. Like they did speed until like 2015, 2014. And then they kind of started maxing out there. Then they started going for shootability and like quiet. That's Matthews led the charge there. And everybody else is kind of followed PSE's this year made a pretty big uh change to their bows to go for for quiet as well so that's been the biggest trend and then i think the next big trend is going to be tunability on the bow without these tools.
1: oh yeah that's smart yeah i so, can see that
0: so it's cool stuff mm-hmm. um so that's i mean that's really it you're gonna if you do those and you can't fix it you've got really big problems um like you're gonna be swapping limbs around on your bow and this wow. is another reason that. Guys are like, but what why doesn't every bow just tune the same way and why doesn't it work? It's because even the deflection, which is the bend on your limbs, is different. So if you look on each of your limbs, you'll see like 148 or 138, and that's their measure of deflection. Mm-hmm. And every bow has slightly different deflecting limbs.
1: Is deflection like how much the limb
0: bends? The amount of force to make it bend, right? Yeah. Okay. And so you know, if you get, if your bow just straight up can't tune, they might have to, they might have screwed up and put the wrong ones there. Uh, they might have to swap yeah. them around, that sort of thing. But every bow is so individual and the person shooting it is so individual that you just have right. to tune it to that individual situation.
1: Wow. Yeah. The a bow seems like a much more complex uh, tool than like even like a bike. Yeah. Oh, or definitely. Not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's the, that's the downside to archery. Like you can't, like I said, if you're shooting deer it's close ranges you kind of can kind of mm-hmm. but you can't really just pick it up and go like a rifle yeah. you pretty much pick it up shoot a few factory rounds through it oh that's a good group then you just move the site to that group and you're good yeah right a bow you've got to do a
1: lot of tuning before you can adjust the site yeah but what's nice about the bow is like once it's all tuned to you it's like perfect that's how you get these guys shooting like 300 in vegas right
0: yeah yeah and it's yeah. uh i mean that's really what that's the difference between archers, right? Guys that will enjoy that process and enjoy that. Yeah. they going to be archers. If they don't enjoy that, they're going to probably go shoot a rifle. And there's zero wrong with that. Like
1: mm-hmm.
0: I hunt with a rifle too. I love it. Hunters, the best thing we can do as hunters is stick together. Like, yeah, we absolutely need to be one unified voice if we're ever going to have a hope of surviving. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, this is where guys can get nuts. And you can just pay a shop to do this, right? But at least mm-hmm. now you know what they're doing. Yeah, and why it might take them a while and why you need to be there being the one that pulls the bow and shoots it uh, for them, right? Because if someone else is pulling it, they don't have your same draw length. They might be working at different and they're they're tuning to that. Yeah, right. So that's pretty much it, right? At this point in time, if you fix those, you're now going to shoot it and you're not going to have a six or a nine o'clock. You're going to have just it hitting right in the dead center of the stinking clock, Mm -hmm. right? That's what you want. It's called a bullet hole and paper tuning, with the others methods, you're basically just going to have them hit in the same spot. Yeah. By the way, if you're ever broadhead tuning, yeah, please, please, please shoot the, uh, shoot the broadhead first.
1: <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Cause you're going to wreck your arrow if you don't, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Pretty funny. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so you pretty much have a bullet hole and it's good to go. And in 90% of the cases, like vast majority of the cases, if you screw a broadhead on and you have perfectly straight arrow flight already, like that broadhead's going to impact with your field points or close to it.
1: Oh, okay, cool. Okay.
0: Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. sense. You're going to be pretty good. But really, that's the last thing. So once you've got that perfect bullet hole, straight straight flight using whatever method you've done, then you're good to shoot as much as you want. Uh, you You know things are flying great no matter what with field points. Yeah. I would always, always, always still test where your broadheads hit compared to your field points yeah um, because that's the final step in tuning right okay. and that's when you'd set your sight for
1: going hunting is just where the where the broadheads impacting yeah so once you got it tuned for field points and then let's say it's a month out you got your broadheads you, you screw them on there yeah. then how would you like test that when when you're shooting at a target well you
0: could use basically that third method right you just shoot a field point then shoot or shoot a broadhead then a field point And Mm -hmm. if they're impacting together, you're like, cool, that's pretty good, right? Oh, I Um, see. Okay. Yeah. So that's how you test it. It's that third method. Um, And if if everything's good, you feel good, great, then I would just go through all your sight pins and go shoot a broadhead at 20, a broadhead at 30, 40, 50, whatever, however many pins you have, just to be sure. Okay. Even if a bow is tuned perfectly, when you add a broadhead, you're adding more drag. Yeah. So they're going to be almost identical out to 40, 50 guaranteed, but you know, at 50, 60, 70, 80, you're going to probably have the broad hit a little bit lower than the field point just because there's more drag on the arrow. Right. That's yet another reason I use super heavy arrows is because heavy arrows are way less affected by that little extra bit of drag. They've got so much momentum already built up Mm -hmm. that I've noticed versus the light arrow, my my arrows impact closer together, which is great. I go out there, I shoot at 60, 70, 80, and it's pretty much spot on. Nice. One little tweak. Um, there's one or two other methods to verify stuff. You know, sometimes it's hard and, Oh, I totally skipped the step. My bad. When you're, when you get that bullet hole or that perfectly straight thing, you might get that at five yards or three yards or three feet. Yeah. Right. The step uh, fine, like really fine tuning, you should go out to at least 20 feet or 20 yards. Okay. Like you should just start slowly work back, 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 back.
1: Oh, because I see what you're saying.
0: You want it to get to the point where that thing is still dead stinking straight at that distance. Now, the bear shaft thing, yeah, 10, 20 yards, that's it's getting hard, and it is really reliant on your form. I but see. If you uh, you should just keep going back until you can get out as far as you can, because that's going to tell you that that bow is truly, truly tuned.
1: Gotcha. Okay, so yeah, you fix the up or down, you fix the left and right, that's shooting out to like two, three feet. Then once that's like a bullet hole, then you move the target to like five feet and like do it again and like make the final little tiny tweaks Then maybe 10 feet and tweak and tweak until it's pretty much perfect.
0: And this is my thing with paper tuning is that there's a lot of bows I've seen get perfect bullet holes at like three feet, five yards and guys are like, it's tuned, it's good. And then you take it out to you know 20 yards with a bare shaft or a broadhead or some other method and there's a pretty big difference in impact. Oh, I like gotcha. it's pretty easy to conceal a change at that distance especially with fletchings.
1: Gotcha. So you got to yeah.
0: you have to get going a little further out to figure out if it's going well. Um, a good way to change the left to right is something called a French tune or a walk back tune. Um, I linked to a cool video on that. You basically just uh, pick a pin put it on a distance like 20 yards shoot it dead into the center and then every few yards as you walk back you shoot another one and what you'll notice if your arrow is still coming out of the bow crooked you'll see those arrows drifting off in a diagonal line down the target
1: yeah i see that picture on the website uh
0: why is that Why, why does it do that it's because that uh like we talked about if it comes out of the bow crooked it's mm-hmm. pointing left to right, then it takes off in that direction. So the further yeah. out you go, the further it's gone off into that direction. Oh, I see. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in theory, your 40-yard would be twice as far from the dot as your 20-yard, and yeah. so on. And so it's a really good way for you to be like, oh, yeah, that's not on. Oh, I uh, see. So it's okay. a verification way. I don't use it too soon, because um, it's more time-consuming, cons- but it's a good way to just verify and check. Yeah, and test. 100% sure, and test. Um, cause a lot of guys are not as this is an upward or downward spiral as your form gets better and you're better at tuning. It's really, really easy. Like I can shoot one arrow and be like, okay, I'm confident in that. But especially if you're doing the, the bear shaft thing or paper tuning, I would always say shoot two or three arrows or shoot two or three times at least, mm-hmm. uh, if you're new, because unless you're getting the exact same thing every time, guess what? It's you. It's not the bow. Yeah. Right. Um, and also your arrow spine might be slightly different on two or three arrows. Right. So you want to change that and not tune to one arrow that's way off or something
1: like that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So that was step seven. And
0: that's not pretty bad. much it. And then, you know, step eight or step seven was just verify it, you know, go out yeah, broadheads, check it out and you're good. The last thing I will say on this, um, is that you always, always have to shoot at when you get to the trailhead where you're going all hunting. we we're, You know, we're down here near sea level, right? Mm -hmm. And you go up to altitude and that does make a difference. No matter what guys want to think, that really does make a difference.
1: Dang it. (laughs) I know.
0: (laughs) But it's not, it's a, um, it's not a tuning difference. Okay. The arrow's still flying out of your bow the right way. Yeah. It's a drop difference. You're just changing your sight pins. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So Separating those two things in your mind is really important too, where it's like, if the arrow's coming straight out of the bow, that's great. Then the rest of it's just changing the sight. That's no big deal. That makes sense. Okay. Right. Once you got yeah. that set, the bow is tuned. You're great. It's just tweaking your sight a little bit.
1: Yeah, I see. And I think I would guess at elevation, like there's less molecules in the air. So there's less resistance, mm-hmm. which will change the drag, right? Yeah, it'll generally
0: shoot a little bit higher. Oh, um, although, you know, if you throw a broadhead on, you've got more drag. Mm-hmm. So they can kind of meet in the middle. They can go up and go down. Like You can't really call it because you never okay. know. The drag from there might be less, but the drag yeah. from the rodhead might be more.
1: Right, right. It's like if you're shooting at sea level, it's like shooting through a pool or something, and then you shoot through air, and it's like, wow, way less drag. Or Yeah. Way yeah.
0: And the last thing on Earth, man, the worst thing ever would be to get out there, get a perfect shot on an elk, put the 50-yard pin on it, and you did a perfect shot. It's just
1: that your arrow didn't end up there. Right. So, like, oh, yeah. All so that you work. you tune everything you get it shooting perfect then when you get out there you bring your phone target set it out shoot mm-hmm. a view like shoot a group or something and see where it is yeah. and then get your sight just perfect and then you're good to go and
0: with sight tuning that's not part of this because I just assume guys know how to do that it's pretty easy you do that after you have tuned the bow like I said but always start with the 20 mm-hmm. you know we'll always make sure that your your axes are on your first second and third axis um, there's videos out there if you're not familiar with what those are uh, pretty easy to look up. But if you're just make sure your site is mounted correctly, we already talked about the second axis and third axis. And the first is usually totally fine on most production bows. Yeah. Um, so I would always start with the 20 yard pin, right? Just get the 20 yard and make sure that's going where you're going. Cause if not, it's time to gang adjust it, which means yeah. you move the entire housing itself. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that usually if you get the 20-yard pin on, that means all the other ones are gonna be on.
1: Yeah, that's what I had to do last weekend when I went out to the walking course. I had to like move the whole housing, then move all the others. So yep. I kind of messed up, but yeah. Yeah. So you start with the 20, you do that,
0: then then I'll go out to 30, make sure my 30's hidden, make sure my 40s hidden, 50, 60, 70, 80. Mm-hmm. And you to be honest too, it's not like you have to get it dead nailed. Like you just want to make sure it's pretty close. Yeah. Like there'll be times where I'm like, oh, okay, it's like an inch or it's like half an inch high at 30, it's an inch high at 40, it's two at 50, three at 60. So, you know, and I've kind of had that in my brain mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, that's fine. I just know yeah. that at 50, 60 yards,
1: um, I can, you hold just a hair lower, a hair higher. So it's not like you have to go tweak at all. Yeah. And even if it's like one or two inches, like it's probably going to be in that basketball size kill zone. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I don't, you know, elk, this is a whole other podcast in of itself, but just given the nature of you're hunting somewhere wooded, it's pretty hard to shoot super, super far. So the majority of times, like all three elk, last three elk, what would that be? That'd be 28, 32, and 35 yards. Oh, okay. So it's generally not a super long shot, although I have had, I had a 72-yard shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and for guys that are calling wolf, I can put, I'm very confident that I can hit something at that range. Um, that's right near the edge of what I call max. Yeah, I mind. but I had a full draw and I was on a five or six point bull that year. I didn't kill one five by six, um, standing there with it on his vitals. And I had got the bow the week before season and I didn't really know how to tune well at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that arrow I'd practice. I knew that arrow was not hitting right where the pin was. And there's a tiny bit of wind and the bow was kind of moving and I just like had to let down. Yeah, like, I know. I can't, I don't know where that is. And that was oh so annoying. So that's day five out of seven. You're like, I can make this wow. happen, but I'm like, I don't want to do it. And so that's, and that's what tuning is there for is to make you hundred percent confident that where your where your arrow is going, it's going right. And that was, again, I learned this one the hard way. I learned how important it was to get a perfect tune. Yeah. when I was out there shooting at 70 yards in that little target, I was like, no, it's not quite where I want it to be.
1: Wow, that's crazy. It, yeah. it must take so much self-control to let down at that point when you got the perfect shot, but just just th- that little bit of doubt in that tune. Yeah, oh, that must have burned so bad. It was hurting, but to be fair, <laughs> like I shot an elk or two. I
0: shot two elk already. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, I can see the temptation. The one that was harder was the first time I hunted and I had that big six by six at 82. Yeah. And I was just like, got let that go. We've already talked that story. That one was, trust me, it really, really hurt. Yeah. But uh, I was able to just kind of talk myself out of it. But I think Dang. another good good thing for guys too, like guys always ask, well, what's your effective range and what's your metric for like what's fine? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think there's a really, really darn good acid test for this one. And that's if you have one of these little Reinhardt targets that's, you know, what is it? It's 18 inches across. Mm-hmm. They've got this little center ring, right? And that center ring is like 10 or 12 inches. Yeah. And you sure as hell should not be shooting at any distance. You're worried, I might lose an arrow. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, right, right. That is a really, really good indicator. <laughs> so, I mean, trust you, when you set that little Reinhardt out at 80 yards, you're like, holy crap, that thing's just a little dot. Like, you look at the photos on the, the website, and you're like, that thing is tiny. Mm-hmm. So, if you're doing that and you're like, I'm afraid I'm going to lose an arrow with this $30 broadhead on it, you definitely should not be shooting at that range, right? Yeah. And then yeah. I'd say the true metric of it is what range do you feel confident like very confident that all your arrows are going to go into that little circle in the middle. And that's yeah. my metric. And that, that trip I'd done this broadhead sight thing. Mm-hmm. I'd been good out to 60 with that. But then at that 70 yard range, those things were barely staying on the Reinhardt. And, uh, that's how I knew that 70 is not going to fly. Yeah. And so well. it makes sense. Yeah. It was a, it's a good. And like that changes day by day too, right? Like that's another reason you can't tell guys one distance is ethical. because, you know, I knew that day, like I knew where that was impacting at 70. And if it had been day one and I wasn't tired and there was no wind and it was a perfect shot, I could have just adjusted up into the right, like six or eight inches and I'd be fine. Mm -hmm. But I knew that day it's day three. I'm tired. This is a slightly downhill shot. It's windy as heck up in this basin. Like this just doesn't add up. Right. Yeah. So your, your effective range, your ethical range changes by the second. Yeah. Wow. not, Not something you can set and
1: say, this is what it is,
0: but it's right that's
1: that's it dependent on conditions um but yeah one one point i was going to bring up as you we were bringing uh, talking through the bow tuning is like i guess one benefit i have is i've been like all the guys at the shop like all the employees they, they know me by first name now i'm like i always buy stuff from there like even though the tool is going to be like two bucks cheaper on amazon like i just want to support the shop they're like yeah. it's the services that comes with it it's all the tips that they give me yep. um that are really helpful so yeah. Like little stuff I just buy there at the shop, uh, targets I buy there yep. uh, just to support them. And now like, if I go in, I'm like, Hey, can I use your bow press? Like they're be like, yeah, go ahead and like use the bow press.
0: Oh yeah. That's the, that's the quid pro quo of supporting a shop too. Right. And even, you know, even, uh, buying your bow press from a shop, like mm-hmm. if you have problems tuning your bow yourself, they're probably still going to help you out. Um, so it always pays to support those guys. You know, for me, I didn't really trust the shop that was close to me. Uh, they I had some bad experiences. The closest one's an hour mm-hmm. drive one way, so that's why I got super into it because I'm like, I got to be able to do this myself. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with it. But like Josh said, if you're somewhere in between, it always pays to support the local guys because they're gonna help you out.
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, that was not as bad as I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, it's, yeah, there's still some areas there that your mind goes a little numb. Mm-hmm. Um, and I generally try to not just say what to do because it's easier to look at the photos, right? But yep. uh, at least guys have a good picture and you have a really good photo or in your mind of like what needs to happen. And
1: mm-hmm. even if you get someone else to do it for you, you now know what's good. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So you just make sure the basics of the bow are set up. You get the cam sync, the site there, all that's good, Levelled the arrows level. And then you then you just start fixing up or down or left or right and there's only two things that affect that the rest or the string
0: yeah with with both of them you start with the simple thing play with the rest Mm -hmm. if that doesn't work you go on to the more complex thing If that doesn't work you know call in the firemen go to the shop or (laughs) or just uh, go to the third thing it's really it's pretty simple it's easy to get stuck in those
1: weeds though and get turned around but yeah that's simple but it's not bad and like you said most of the advice is going to be totally fine for like 80 percent of guys out there and like those little exceptions that you might need to call in some extra help but yeah for most people i think it should be good it should be good
0: cool man we'll uh we'll have to get your bill working great um it'd be cool if you did that one with your shop and just learned it yourself but uh, that would be were, cool if you were here we could uh, you can use some of these tools too so yeah exciting times but next week we're what are we talking about next week we're back on... I think we're back into strategies and tactics. Oh, we're talking about practice. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Yep. For guys that want to talk about that, that's a, uh,
1: That's one of my strongest held beliefs is make sure you practice the way you're going to actually hunt elk. So tune in for that oh, next okay. week. Yeah. So we're going to talk about uh, practice, like like shooting and stuff and like situations to get it. So it's very specific and similar to like what it's going to be like out there. Yep.
0: Yeah. I'm 100% convinced that at least one of the elk I've killed is because of the way I sh- practice. And I bet you could attribute a pretty big portion of the others to it as well. So it's important. Awesome. Yeah. Stoked for that. Cool. All right guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.